Let's turn to our Bible reading for today, which comes from Zephaniah. Uh, that should say Zephaniah 3, verse 3 through 20. The, the Zephaniah only has three chapters. So Zephaniah 3, verses uh, 8 through 20. And then Philippians 1, verses 1 through 11. So verse Zephaniah. Zephaniah 3, starting at verse 8. Therefore, wait for me, says the Lord, until the day I rise up for plunder. My determination is to gather the nations to my assembly of kingdoms, to pour on them my indignation, all my fierce anger. All the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. For then I will restore to the peoples a pure language, that they all may call on the name of the Lord to serve him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my worshipers, the daughter of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. In that day you shall not be shamed for any of your deeds in which you transgress against me. For then I will take away from your midst those who rejoice in your pride, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain." I will leave in your midst a meek and humble people, and they shall trust in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel shall do no unrighteousness and speak no lies, nor shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth. For they shall feed their flocks and lie down, and no one shall make them afraid. Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your judgments. He has cast out your enemy. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst, and you shall see disaster no more. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, do not fear. Zion, let not your hands be weak. The Lord your God is in your midst. The mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. I will gather those who sorrow over the appointed assembly who are among you, to whom its reproach is a burden. Behold, at that time I will deal with all who afflict you. I will save the lame and gather those who are driven out. I will appoint them for praise and fame in every land where they were put to shame. At that time I will bring you back, even at the time I gather you. For I will bring you fame and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I return your captives before your eyes, says the Lord. And then let's turn to Philippians 1. The reason I read from Zephaniah is because we see how God rejoices over his people. And in Philippians 1, it's the same rejoicing that we see in Paul over the Philippians, over what God has done for them. And in that way, Paul reflects God. Paul reflects Christ in his rejoicing over Paul. And we too should reflect that in our love, in the love and joy we take in one another. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine making request for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, 
that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So far, the reading of God's word. Our text is Philippians 1 to 11, and our theme for the sermon will be pray for the work of God in one another. Beloved in the Lord, in Philippians we find one of the most joyful books of the scriptures. While at the same time we find Paul writing this book in extremely hard circumstances, he's in prison. The greeting of the book reflects that dichotomy. Paul is a bondservant, a slave of Christ Jesus. He addresses holy ones, saints who have been lifted up to the heavenly heavens in Christ Jesus. We find the, the dual nature of the Christian at once bound and at the same time exalted, limited by circumstances within the providence of God, but at the same time aware that all things are yours in Christ Jesus. And here, the Philippians, Paul, and we today reflect Christ Jesus, who was found in the form of a slave, and yet is now exalted at the right hand of God. And this explains the greatness of Paul's joy. Even as he is imprisoned, he can see how the Spirit works in Philippi, and he rejoices in that. To quote another place, the word of God is not bound. Men can be bound, enslaved, gagged, broken, or exiled, but the word of God is never bound. And so even in his imprisonment, Paul and Timothy can rejoice in the faith and the love that Philippians have shown Paul. The book begins with a beautiful prayer in which Paul demonstrates his joy in the Philippian church, and his hope is that they may be full of every good work. These prayers are given to us to encourage and teach us in our prayer, in our prayer lives for one another. The relationship between Paul and the Philippians reflects the relationship between Christ and Paul, or Christ and his church. And we, in turn, reflect that in our relationships with one another. And so I bring you the word of the Lord under the theme, pray for the work of God in one another with Joy. First, we're going to see the manner of our prayer. That uh, go, goes up to verse 8, 3 through 8, and then the content of our prayer, 9 through 11. 
Paul and Timothy, servants, bondservants or slaves of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Interestingly, Paul emphasized here that this is for all the saints in Philippi, an unusual addition suggesting the wide application of this letter and perhaps emphasizing the uniqueness of Paul's relationships with each one of the members of the church in Philippi. Then Paul gives his common greeting, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. From the stories in the book of Acts, we can guess that this church in Philippi is small. Paul's usual way of bringing the gospel to a city was to find a, a synagogue. Synagogue was where the Jews at, at that time met together. So Paul would find a synagogue, which with there was a natural connection, as the Jews at that time were looking for the Messiah. And Paul had news that the Messiah was here. Jesus was here. He would seek to convince the Jews from the scripture that Christ was the fulfillment of the scripture. There were not enough Jews or God worshippers in Philippi to have a synagogue. But going down to the river to pray, Paul found there by the river fellow worshippers of God. Probably Gentiles who were convinced of, uh, that the Jewish God was the true God. And that allowed him to have a place to establish a beachhead in the city of Philippi for the gospel of Christ. And then God used a number of marvelous events to bring the Philippian jailer to Christ. If you remember the story, Paul is put into prison. God breaks open the prison. And Paul, with all the prisoners, calls upon the Philippian jailer. Uh, tells the Philippian jailer that none of the prisoners have escaped. And in that moment, the Philippian jailer says, uh, confesses his sins and, and uh, looks to God for salvation. Through this, the church of Philippi was born. And we see in the letter of the Philippians how God has used the Philippian church marvelously in the life of Paul. The smallness of the Philippian church and the imprisonment of Paul is in contrast to the glory and the joy that they have in Christ and the love and the good works that God is able to produce through them. This is a lesson the Philippians seem to understand better than, say, the Corinthians. And understanding that they are firm in the partnership that they have and understanding that they are firm in the partnership that they have with the Apostle Paul. No wonder Paul's joy as he opens this letter. I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. While Paul reproaches the various congregations that he writes with thanksgiving for what God has done among them, the Philippians have a special place in Paul's heart because of the partnership or, or in, our, in a version we read, the fellowship that they have with Paul. Now that fellowship that Paul is speaking of is actually a formal partnership. We can see this because at the end of the book, Paul explains this partnership in more detail. The church at Philippi has agreed to regularly support Paul in his mission in return for the gifts that Paul has given them through the preaching of the gospel. 
We know from other places that Paul did not, in general, receive payment for his ministry. He had a right to do so, but he did not want to use that right so that through his willingness to set that right aside, the gospel would be more effective. But in the case of Philippi, they were more than willing to support Paul, and they have continued in that support despite the rumors and accusations and the personal weaknesses of Paul. Now, this is more than just than just a formal partnership. In the ancient world, the idea of it's just business was not as prominent as it is today. That word partnership, translated as fellowship, it's that those two words are much closer together back then. This, this fellowship is a friendship that has been given a formal expression. The attitude today is that formality often ruins friendships. But this is a modern attitude and far from the truth of the matter. The formal binding that Paul and Philippi enter glorifies their relationship so that Paul can pray for them with great joy. They've stayed true to their promises to Paul. They've stayed true in what they have, what they have said to Paul. This should also color our understanding of our fellowship as believers. It is beautified and glorified when each person in the church of God is willing to do his or her part in building up the church of God. Rejoicing in the good works he sees in them, especially in keeping that partnership and keeping those promises that they have given to Paul. Paul can say this. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I am confident that the Lord will complete what he has begun in you. You will be ready for the judgment of Christ. This sort of attitude, this confidence about the salvation of, of, of the believers he has in front of him is Paul's attitude, often Paul's attitude toward the saints in scriptures. The exception would be a couple lines in Galatians and the current concern he shows at the end of 2 Corinthians, where he sees such a degree of failure in how those churches are living out their faith that he openly wonders about their final salvation. Yet even in those places, he's still confident that these churches will hear him and be transformed in Jesus. That confidence that Paul has in the Philippians, that's something the Lord teaches us to have as an attitude toward one another. We are called to accept those who confess the Lord, though time may reveal that not all those who proclaim Lord, Lord are truly of the Lord. What makes this statement here unique, though, is that Paul has seen how the Philippians have fulfilled their faith through good works. Assurance of salvation is often personal, but when we see God working in our brothers and sisters through good fruit, that gives us great confidence in them as well. And so we can say confidently to one another, I know the Lord is with you, working in you and through you, not only because of his promises, 
but because I see the beauty of the Lord coming out in your life. I see the good works that, uh, that God has given you to give toward your fellow believers and toward me. In this way, we give assurance through the spirit that is in us. Paul adds, it's, it's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Now, they're not literally in prison with Paul. They're not literally defending and confirming the gospel with Paul as he goes from city to city. But they show that they bear a burden for these things with Paul. They express in their lives that they partake of the same grace as Paul. And they do that by continuing to provide for him through his imprisonment so that the gospel may continue to be defended and confirmed. It's because they look to and rely on the same Lord, Jesus Christ, that they can show a unity of spirit with Paul as he is in prison and as he fulfills his ministry. It's all connected to the mission of Paul. Often in the letters, in, in the letters that Paul, in his epistles, he will defend his mission. He will defend his ministry. Here in Philippians, he doesn't seek to defend his mission as he often does in, in his letters. He instead assumes it. He knows that he is called by God. Not everybody accepts that, but he knows that the Philippians do. Paul is all the more grateful for the Philippians' love and support. He knows, though, that the Philippians cannot see his heart. And there may come up questions. They may question his heart for them as they hear rumors from those who might not particularly like Paul or have problems with Paul. It's also reasonable to say that Paul knows that he still struggles with his own sinful nature. And so men can find fault with Paul if they need to. Even so, the Pharisees even found fault with Christ, who, unlike Paul, had no sinful nature. So Paul calls God as his witness in expressing his love for the Philippians. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. He wants them to know, so he swears before God. He calls God as his witness. I love you with the affection of Christ Jesus. That same affection that went to the cross for the sake of mankind. Now the attitude of Paul toward the Philippians is at once similar to his attitude toward other churches, but also unique. Paul's prayer is inflected with a great joy of shared experience. Again, that's our emphasis. He has this closeness that goes beyond his prayers for the other churches. As we learn to pray for one another and as we learn to love one another according to the gospel, there's a lot to learn from Paul's example here. We should receive each other in the Lord in prayers of thankfulness and joy. This is how we always begin in Christ. The reality is that there are many hardships on the way and many questions we have of one another. 
envy and pride raise their ugly heads and cause dissension. We could have attitudes toward one another that reflect the Corinthians, where they're following their, their fleshly leaders. They're following leaders in the flesh rather than Christ. Or the Galatians, as they seek to control one another. And not so much the Philippians. As we sometimes say, church would be easy if it weren't for other people. Yet even here, we ought to have a hope for one another and the joy in one another that's expressed in Paul's prayer. In many ways, the relationship that Paul has with the Philippians is something we ought to aspire to. I, I hope that we can have those moments where we can say with Paul, I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. We want to have that joy in one another, even as we go through hard times together, even as we bear each other's burdens. It begins with each one of us, each individual here, seeking God, partaking of the grace that Paul speaks of in verse 7. And beginning in that grace and assured of that grace, right? What's that grace? That grace is the love that Jesus poured out on the cross. So beginning in that grace and assured of that grace, it now expresses itself in the love that Paul talks about here in Philippians. So by sharing in the grace of God, we can begin to experience that fellowship and that partnership that Paul has with the Philippians, with one another. Let us begin in our prayers for one another with thanksgiving and joy that God is working in each one of us for the sake of his glory. And that brings us to our second point, the content of our prayer. Paul goes on to describe what he actually prays for the Philippians. And it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Paul's hope that there is that there may be an ever greater openness in the hearts of the Philippians to the love of Christ. That they too may love one another with the affection of Jesus Christ. Understand that apart from God, there is no room for the love that was expressed in the love of Christ on the cross. We love because he loved first. And as we walk in the way of Christ, he makes more and more room for that love in our hearts so that we may more and more express the self-sacrificial nature of Christ himself. Paul expresses this in a particular way to the Galatians. As baptized ones, they wear Christ. As many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Through Paul's preaching, through his prayers, he wants to form Christ within them or among them. My little children for whom I am in, ang in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed among you. It is primarily in this love of God, in Galatians, faith working through love, that the Philippians show Christ to one another. And this is not some vague, expressionless love. 
but it is a love that is formed with knowledge and all discernment. Love is not simply being nice to each other. Love is, first of all, expressing commitment to Jesus. Love for one another is expressed through encouragement, exhortation, and sometimes even confrontation. Sometimes we need to call out sin in each other's lives, as long as we do so in love. Paul wants the Philippians to exercise the love they have been given that, that has been given them in Christ with wisdom. They still need to watch out for the party of the circumcision, the party that wants to go back to the Old Testament. They need to watch that impurity, division, and pride are not allowed to flourish in the church. This love founded in knowledge and exercised with discernment allows them to know good from evil, so that you may approve what is excellent, says Paul, so you may understand what is good and what is edifying, what is best for the people of God. And if the people of Philippi approve the excellent thing, Paul is confident that they will be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. That day of Christ, that's the day of judgment, referring to the final coming of Christ as he comes to take his own home. They'll be prepared. They'll be ready for that. We should not think of this purity and blamelessness as connected to some sort of gospel of works, though, that Paul is praying that the Philippians may find through their own strength, or that it is some sort of halfway work on the part of God and halfway work on the part of the Philippians. The very next line undermines such a way of thinking. Filled with the righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. We pursue that blamelessness and purity because we're filled with the righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ. We're walking in Christ. We're walking united in Jesus Christ. It's because the Philippians are partakers, participants of the grace of Jesus Christ with Paul that they produce this fruit of righteousness. Right? You produce, if you're a branch, you produce fruit when you are firmly attached to the tree, when you're firmly attached to the vine. So as partakers of that grace in Christ, then you produce righteousness. It's because they found the right source, the Lord, through the power of the Spirit, that they are able to be full of good works. And all to the praise and glory of God. It all comes back to this, that God may be all in all. He glorifies us in the Son through the fruitfulness of good works. And in turn, we glorify him as the source of our life and our good works. The glory that is manifested in the good works that we do goes back to God as the source of all things. Brothers and sisters, this is how we ought to pray for, for the sake of one another. Our prayers for one another are never me-centered. We don't pray that the person think or do what I think they ought to think or do. Rather, we pray that they may be filled with the love of God, 
We trust that God, who oversees the human heart and knows it thoroughly, will work in each heart among us so that the goodness of the gospel may be manifested. It's through that fundamental dependence on God and that shared partaking in Christ Jesus that we can begin to manifest the love and the unity that is expressed in the book of Philippians. This is how we can begin to express the unity of mind that we are called to in the Gospels. And this produces in us joy, the joy of God. And so I pray that your love may abound more and more as you rely on the word planted within you by the Holy Spirit of God. All glory be to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen.